Robbie Knox here, landlord of the Moon Underwater, and I have a very exciting announcement to share with you. Have you ever found yourself listening along to the podcast thinking, hmm, I wish I could experience this with my own eyes in the real world? Well, you're in luck, because very soon the Moon Underwater will be returning to the other realm for a special live show. As it's such a special occasion, we thought we'd invite an equally special guest along. Joining us on the night to create their dream pub is the Edinburgh Comedy Award-winning comedian Ahir Shah. It's taking place on Sunday the 7th of April at Moth Club in London. Tickets are on general sale now. Search Moon Under Pod on socials, head to our page and click the link in the bio to get your tickets. We look forward to seeing you there. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. At the aching hour... Hear the mind's lament and unfold yourself In clusters of light, glass and mirror and glaze Bibooth me and fill my pint anew In the moon underwater must say the mood this evening in the moon underwater is sort of leather not in a sexual way but in a sort of traditional way leather bound books leather backed chairs leather appointed areas and ornaments we've got some leather items sort of i think they're traditional farming straps and the leather's been recently uh, creamed uh, with various leather restorers, and the brass has been shone. So it's just got a lovely leathery feel. We've got some lovely horse brasses uh, around the fireplace and a scythe above the fireplace, Weird, weirdly. It's been professionally blunted uh, so that it can't be used in any argument, if we have an argument. No, but it's a nice reminder. Of... That we could potentially scythe each other. Yeah, you know. But I think also it speaks to the scythe of time. The scythe of time is very much present in the moon underwater sometimes, although time lasts forever there, is it? And doesn't exist. This, yes, of course. <laughs> Everyone's thrown their watches down the drain. The only clock we have is a scythe. That's the... <laughs> The only clock we have is a scythe because it represents the mowing and harvesting of both the weak and the strong. Mm. It's a memento mori, isn't it, of of a memento mori? It is a memento memorium. Yeah, indeed. A memory menti. It's a minty memory of time itself. Um, Delightful to have you uh, sat in your regular seat, Rob. Talk to me about... Your week in pubs, the pubs in your week, a week in a pub. Well, you know, John, as we record this, we're not quite back to full opening. 
but uh, yeah, I had a little drink in the old Sylvan Post in Forest Hill, uh, which was nice. It was only people there. It was quite cold. That's okay. But it was nice. Very, very nice. What did you have? Uh, a a Paulette, Paulana, Paulana. The German Pilsner, which is my actually my favourite lager. Is it? So, like, my favourite local pub does my favourite drink. I thought your favourite lager was Menabrau. I've changed. We all <laughs> changed, John. You and your favourite lagers. I know. So that was lovely. And there was a lovely old man who came out for, like, an evening pint. And uh, he, he couldn't get the contactless to work. He kept going, can you, can you drink it for me? Like oh, that. that's nice. <laughs> Can you dink it for me? Can you dink it for me? Yeah, so that's become a bit of a catchphrase. Can you dink it for me? But then his car didn't work, so we bought him his pint. Oh, that's kind of you. Is it? Or do you think he was doing it on purpose, Lynn? Oh, you've been absolutely shafted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a proper grifter. I did wonder why he was drinking champers. Going round pubs talking about dinking until yeah. someone takes... Uh, takes pity on him. I did bedink him. Do you bedinked him? Well, Ruth bedinked him, sorry. Ruth bedinked the man. What about you? Well, this podcast goes out on sort of the next stage of reopening. We've got different theories about that. You think it's going to be Ramo Cablamo Mayhem. I think it's going to be pretty much the same. Do you reckon, oh, that first few days is going to be hell on earth. I don't think it is. Because it wasn't hell when the, you were allowed in beer gardens. But there's a big difference. You're allowed in people's houses. People aren't going to the pub because it's too cold. But even when you go, you have to be in sort of households. You have to book ahead. You have to sign in. It's not going to be like... It's not going to be, you know, kind of um, like that bit where you come over the Severn Bridge and there's no road markings and everyone just goes absolutely crazy <laughs> yeah. for about 500 yards. I always think that looks very European. Yeah, it's like sort of something out of Mad Max, yeah, that stretch yeah. of road. Do you think that's... You don't think it's going to be like that? I don't think it's going to be like the Severn Bridge, no. It'll be like... Do you think it'll be like the first Severn Bridge? Where you don't have to pay a toll anymore? No, it could have elements of the Humber about it. Yeah. Hang on, do you pay a toll on the second one still? I don't think you do on either now. It's so long since I've traversed either mm. of them. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to a pub uh, in the last week, not since a, a very cold pint on my birthday. Just, well, ma- mainly because uh, because of the weather and lack of people to go to the pub with. Yeah, yeah. I'm someone who likes going to the pub alone, but I think... In, well, but you haven't got anyone to go with. But, but I think in these circumstances, to sort of <laughs> sit in a cold beer garden on your own, it's uh, perhaps a bit much. It feels like rock bottom, doesn't it? It feels it's, it feels on the way. Yeah, but we have booked in a pub appointment and a pubment at the end of May, haven't we? To to really get to the bottom of some true pubs. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of the pub and uh, come back up again. What are you thinking, Kennington Nights? I'm thinking, um, yeah, that classic route from the Tamasis Dock down past the windmill, the Black Prince. The doghouse. Yeah, and then maybe a curry in Ken Clark's... And then a curry in Ken Clark's curry house. Which is called Kennington Tandoori, but but, but Ken Clark goes there every week, I think, or used to. He's certainly a regular venturer into its realm. And he, 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 we asked him what he orders, and he said, oh, this was ages ago, but he always has the Naga chicken. The Naga chicken. Well, I asked them to make it for me with prawns or tofu or something. I got them to make me a sort of non-meat Naga. I, and you can certainly see why he's uh, so pro-European. <laughs> I would hate to see his bowel. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd hate to see anyone's bell. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone's bell that I'd really, uh, really no, sort no. of savour. But Robin, has there been... Did I hear the, the ephemeral postman? That sort of cloud of mist that delivers mail to the moon underwater. Did I hear, did I hear the ephemeral postman mist cloud sort of wafting down the alleyways? There's been a mist delivery and uh, the wind is blowing through the letterbox across the universe. And also the, 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 the mist postman, it's always side for, isn't it? What's that mean? It's Royal Mail side for. You have to side. Side for? Well, I thought you were talking about semaphore, where you put your arms up. Like the... the mist comes and you have to sigh. <laughs> that proves that you've taken delivery of the mail. And they have to take a photo of you sighing, even though you can't really like hear the sigh in the photo. <laughs> but you've got to take a photo of you sighing as proof. So thanks. We've got a lovely uh, mist delivery here from Emma. Hi, John and Robin. I'm Northern Irish and can confirm that Guinness should be at cellar room temp. Mm-hmm. An old pub near me when I was growing up only did Guinness in bottles that were on a shelf rather than a fridge. I also did a stint of work experience at St. James's Gate in Dublin when I was in university. I remember my boss explaining to me that the extra cold tap came about as loads of Irish young people went to America for years and Americans drink beer a lot colder than us, so those Irish people got used to the extra cold Guinness. I guess they then returned home and there was a market for the cold stuff. So it was introduced to Ireland, UK. They were also trialling Smirnoff ice on tap at the time, the early noughties. That didn't work out. I assume people were getting too too hammered. Keep up the good vibes, Emma. Thanks, Emma. That really, the, the, the talk of Smirnoff ice. I'm guessing the problem with Smirnoff ice on tap is that it gets too sticky in the pipes and the sort of system gets clogged up. Maybe you'd have it as a gun. Like with a Coke gun. I mean, I have maybe erroneously oft quoted the fact that Guinness Extra Cold was made so that when they pre-poured half pints of Guinness to settle before opening the pubs, that would obviously warm up. So they then topped it up with Guinness Extra Cold to keep it at the regular temp. Mm, That's a lovely theory, but... But I I bow to Emma's greater knowledge. Yeah. God, a Smirnoff Ice. I, I, I found a picture of me at university the other day and, you know, I was sitting in, maybe in the college bar. And, you know, I think, God, I, you know, I recognise me, you know, it's like I could have a conversation with my younger self. But what was I drinking? A Smirnoff ice. What was I thinking? I don't recognise me. Well, you had probably enjoyed it because it was sweet and we were crazy, man. We were crazy. I mean, we found a photo of you staying over at my house with a, a can of 90s Stella. Oh, that was beautiful, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Some 90s Stella. I remember when we lived together, um, we hadn't put our recycling out for so long that the, the branding of Strongbow had changed <laughs> like a sedimentary layer through the recycling. <laughs> You can kind of see this layer of old strong bows beneath. Uh, the yeah. scythe of time. It was the scythe of time, yeah. But uh, I'm I'm off the booze tonight. It's I'm drinking some alcohol-free beers from drydrinker.com. But more about that later, because we've got a little offer for you if you want to dip into the world of alcohol-free and low-alcohol beer. Because let me tell you, times have changed. Things have moved on. And it's been crafted that world, I would say. Uh, So listen out later in the podcast for um, a special offer for Moon Under Pod listeners. But now, Robin, seeing as those horse brasses are singing, seeing as that leather looks so soft, seeing as the scythe 
is glinting at me. I think maybe the scythe is saying it's time to welcome in this week's guest. What's that movement, that rustle of feet? Is that the latch I hear? And the hinges o' the door creaking wide open. And yes, it is. In the threshold to the moon underwater, it is author, presenter, disc jockey, vibe negotiator, I want to say, Mr. Danny Wallace. Hello, Danny. Come in. Oh, oh, it was chilly out there. Thank you so much. Oh, look, you've got the fire on. Um, you guys, you, you're dressed in... what? You, that's a proper pub landlord outfit, John. Yes, it's my pub landlord robes. Mm. All of the previous landlords of the Moon Underwater have worn these ceremonial robes. And I am just the... Um, What's the word when you're going to pass something on? Yeah, what is that word? You, you know, you're just the... It's not a gatekeeper, is it? You're the um, the current wearer, let's say. When I bought my house, it's quite an old house, and the previous occupant said, you are not the owner, you are the... Custodian! Custodian, of course, the custodian of the robes. The custodian of the robes of the moon underwater. It's a delight to have you here, Danny. When I was trying to prepare my introduction, I was looking at, as I do, all the research into the things you've done. And you are a difficult man to describe because you've done so much in so many different realms. And I couldn't escape the phrase, I'd actually like to say vibe initiator. (laughs) So many of your projects are about sort of beginning movements, aren't they? They are. They are. I've always liked projects, whether it's a a movement, as you say, as I did when I maybe started my own cult or I started my own country. It was all about bringing people in and bringing people together and creating a kind of community because I love communities, which is also why I love pubs, because I think that each pub is its own little community with the regulars like like Robin you look very comfortable in this pub I imagine that you know you, you'll hear a lot and so for me it's always about you know if you can have an idea where you start something that you're excited by um, it will get you through to the end and that's always been my approach to these these kind of projects. One of your most famous books is uh, Yes Man where you basically decided you were going to say yes to every question that was asked of you Was it every single yes or no question or just every single opportunity you were given you agreed to? It was every, yeah, favour, request or suggestion. The little things that that fly at you every single day that ordinarily you might be too bored or tired or listless to commit to. When someone says to you, hey, do you want to come to this gig? It's going to be absolutely awful. And it's just a man playing the castanets for 45 minutes and shouting in Spanish. And it's going to take you three different buses to get there. And it's going to be disappointing. Obviously, you want to say no. But, as I've learned, you're as likely to meet the love of your life at a bad party as at a good one. So why not go to the bad parties as well and see what happens? This definitely seems like a good decision now we're in lockdown. I definitely feel like there are so many things I should have said yes to when things were normal. Gigs I should have gone to. 
Well, exactly. Yeah, in in these sort of uh, strange uh, strange times, you 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 know, you're desperate to say yes to anything, but nothing nothing happens ever. Nothing happens. Which is why I was delighted when I heard, you know, that there was the opportunity to um, have some input into the development of a new pub franchise, and I do see it as a franchise. I think that the the pub that I've been working on is something that. I mean, you'll probably want to stop the podcast after this and just go all in with me on the business. Um, <laughs> and uh, and when you said realms, the realms that I am involved in, I do think of them as realms because that 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 sort of implies that I'm some kind of king. So you've got a kind of multi-realm pub franchise in mind. This is exactly yeah to to rival the realms of Weatherspoons itself. When you were living that life as the yes man, that must have meant you got drunk an awful lot. Yes. Because every time someone said, do you want a drink? You, I'm, I'm guessing there must have been situations where you like you had to say, no, I'm driving. <laughs> or did you have to say yes and then get a cab? I would have to make it work, basically. So if I got invited to two parties um, on the same night and they were at different ends of London, I would have to pop in uh, to the first one and then spend a lot of time travelling to just see the sort of the dregs of the ends of the last one. But yes, there was a lot of, um, there was there was quite a few pubs involved. But I always remember the first time I went to a bar in Norway where there isn't the round system, okay? So it's not like, I'm going to buy one, then you're going to definitely buy one, then the next guy will definitely buy one. Because um, pints cost a lot over there, so people just look after themselves. So I remember buying my first round in Norway and realising I got to the end of it, and I thought, well, I can't just say it's someone else's turn now. So I said, would anyone like another one? And they all said yes. So already I was about 90 quid down on just like two beers. So, you know, you have to be careful. It is, you know, yes is a culturally sort of specific thing, um, as is beer. Okay, Danny, pull up a, pull up a pew, pull up a pint mm-hmm. in front of the bar at your dream fantasy pub yeah first off before we start to populate that bar what sort of vibe are we are we talking about here what sort of bar is it well um it it sounds wrong if i say orwellian because that um that makes it seem like there'll be cameras in your face and um it will be you know uh, quite fascistic in many ways but as as of course you know because of this podcast title um when orwell himself wrote about moon underwater um he wrote about this ideal pub and i think he pretty much nailed it he kind of got my favorite kind of vibe for a pub and i think that sort of 19th century sort of furniture i don't want anything pine i don't want anything pine i want no chrome I don't want there to be... Nothing sanded down. Nothing sanded down. No pint taps on my table. I know that seemed exciting when it first came in, but I don't want that. I want a landlord in ceremonial dress like you, John. Um, I don't really want music. I want the vibe to be conversational. I want to be able to hear people. I don't particularly want music on. I know that, you know, that that could be controversial a bit later on when inevitably you ask me about that. You're you're allowed to pick John Cage as your uh, <laughs> as your as your song if you want. The vibe is very much uh there's a fireplace and there's a small wooden table and there's a snug and there's a comfortable seat and I'm talking to someone and they're talking to me and we can hear each other. And the people who come to this pub 
are people who always come to this pub. And this pub, like Orwell's, is two minutes from a bus stop and it is tucked around a corner and people miss it, but you know where it is. And so that's that's what I like about these pubs. Ooh, what a lovely point that is to make that others could walk by and yet you, a bit like um, Diagonale in Harry Potter, <laughs> if you just know the, 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 the bricks to touch. Yeah. Oh, oh. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours forever. And you've been going there forever and everyone in there has been going forever and only you seem to know about it. Your first choice at the bar, Danny, is two draft items. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be beer. It could be anything that's available uh, on draft. So what are we going for? Well, it's going to be beer. Uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be beer on both counts. And the first draft is going to be aing a brow. Now, if you know, you know. No uh, way! Way. Magic beer. Oh, right. It is. Why do you call it magic beer? Because when we were at university... There was a pub called the Three Goats Heads, and it sold Iingabrow pills, and it was something like it was it was something like five point eight percent, but it made you hallucinate. Wow! <laughs> this, so th- we're talking about the Sam Smith's beer, that was premium pilsner. Yeah, yeah. Which they don't do anymore. Right? They don't. Well, there, there was a rumor they stopped making it because it had, like had LSD in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely. Th- yeah, it was had a, definitely had a reputation at uni that if if you had two or three pints of that, you would be absolutely flying. Well, do you know what? You must have been having a slightly different variation of it. Where where was the where was the three goats heads in Oxford? In Oxford, well, the 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 aing a brow that I enjoyed, um, you know, commonly known as man in the box. Yes, because most beer pumps very boring quite soulless this had and you hoped it was animatronic but it wasn't it had like a little austrian man with a big mustache and a pipe i think and a sort of a backdrop of uh, the alps and he was the man in the box and if you said a man in the box you were sort of part of the gang whereas if you tried to pronounce it you were very obviously not a regular and you should leave immediately and I used to go to uh, a lot, the Yorkshire Grey, oh, yes. um, which was very near the BBC where I was working at the time. And um, it had its own little alleyway. And it, you would walk past it because there was a bigger pub nearby that most people would be drawn to. So if you knew, you went in. And it had that furniture I was talking about. It had that fireplace I was talking about. It had those regulars that I was talking about. It doesn't have exquisite toilets in the Yorkshire Grey. Is that the one I'm thinking of? That make it a listed building? Um, I can't remember. If they, I wouldn't describe them as exquisite. I remember okay. two urinals and uh, a cubicle. And if that, I mean, maybe it, it depends on your standards, I suppose. Danny, can I just, as a point of order, can I check by man in a box? Are you sure you don't mean the Alpine Lager, which is 2.6%? Well, here we go. Because it used to be um, aing a brow, right? As far as I remember. And there was the man in the box. Now, Perhaps the man in the box was introduced after, because you're right, and that is where the confusion lies. But it's also where the magic lies, because for you, it seemed to be laced with LSD. 
When I transitioned into Men in the Box, I didn't know why I always had an incredible time at the Yorkshire Grey. I could turn up at the Yorkshire Grey at 11am or midday and meet some friends and plan to leave there by 2 and still be there at closing time. And I wasn't hammered. I was perfectly complimentous, but I was I was having fun. And then I realised, um, some years later, that I had been drinking uh, essentially 2% lager. Okay. Right, that's Alpine. Yeah, that is the Alpine lager. Yeah, yeah. So the rebranding and the replacement confused uh, a young man such as myself, who had obviously been starting out on this LSD-style beer, and then without realising got into uh, the, the what then became Alpine lager. Right. Which sounds like a bleach. Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear, because both these beers loom very large in the collective conscious of of Robin and I. Do you mean the five? I've just looked it up. So mm-hmm. the the Ienga Brow Pills was five point nine percent. Where I started, absolutely. There's that, and the Alpine Lager is two point eight percent. Yeah, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm I'm putting in the two point eight percent. Okay, only because, but but I'm going to scratch out the alcohol uh, percentage so that people don't realise. Um, because you have a great time and it goes on forever and it's it's fantastic and um, it was my own confusion that led me there um, but I will make up for it um, as we move on absolutely so what's your second choice Danny Foster's now don't worry <laughs> don't worry I know that uh, it has uh, you know a reputation um, some people say that these beers they taste a little chemically um, perhaps um, a little metallic I uh, don't mind that at all uh, I taste the malt. Now, I've got an Australian wife who is deeply ashamed of my uh, fondness for Foster's. And the first time I met her dad was in a pub in the East End where I thought, you know, naively, I'm going to order a pint of Foster's and that will impress him because it is, after all, the amber nectar. It is the thing that Australians are most proud of. They're not proud of it. They don't like it. And they're angry that it's sold. But I like it because... There's craft beer and people get into craft beer and I think there is a wonderful place for that and it's great that you've added some elderflower to it and why not pop some lemongrass in and it's wonderful that monks make it on a remote Scottish island in complete silence. But it's not Foster's because for me Foster's is um, a taste of kind of community and you can, you know, add in... For me, it's Foster's, it could be Cronenberg, it could be Stella, it could be those sort of, those just big brand names for you. But for me, it means community, and it means like, it's the taste of a barbecue on a Saturday afternoon, it's unpretentious, it's available wherever, you know what you're getting. It's a Big Mac, it's a Big Mac of um, of beer. And, um, and I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of, and I know that I could, you know, show off with my draft beers, and I know that I've already put one in that's... Um, Slightly more alcoholic than milk, and one that is um, more controversial than most. Um, but for me, Foster's has always been—it's been—it's uh, been by my side, and I can rely on it. Two superb choices there um, to kick off uh, your dream pub. What's um? What are your sort of early pub memories? Pub pub me, Danny. Pub me. I'm gonna pub you right up. Um, let me uh, let me start by saying probably um, it was when I was living in Bath. Um, that I, I I started going to pubs, and initially I went with um, friends from a. Um, I I worked when I was uh, very sort of young in my teens. I worked for Video Games Magazine, and oh, what, would this have been future publishing? It certainly would, hmm. and um, they would take me out 
the boys and I would meet them in a sort of a grown up situation and they were sort of six years older than me and they were much more pub savvy. They'd been to university and things like that. And it was my first experience kind of of it. And it was it was great sitting around a table laughing having conversations that were funny to start with and then got into something a bit deeper but always ended up funny as well maybe led to a club later on the pub became this kind of cornerstone and also later on importantly I loved living in London when I lived in London because I loved being part of um, a history and all these old kind of buildings like the start of Cheers when the camera moves along the wall and you see all the people who used to go to Cheers or who are long gone now but used to be friends or used to walk down those streets of wherever it was Boston or whatever um, I feel the same about London and I love looking at old pictures of London and I love seeing pictures of the pubs that I would go to in London and seeing the people who were the equivalent of me and my mates going into those places and it means it sort of means a lot to me you know I don't want it to be my pub I just want it to um I just want to be part of its history and um you know that's always kind of stayed with me and in Bath it was like the evenings were staged there were there were definite stages to the pub evenings so I'd go to the Ringer Bells in Whitcomb um and uh, that's where you meet the people you're going to be with all night and you have your first couple of pints, maybe you, you play some pool, but you're with them all night. Then you walk into town and you go to the Saracen's Head, and that's where one or other of you has agreed to meet whoever it is you've agreed to meet. And maybe they've come in from outside Bath or whatever, blah, blah, blah. They're not as close, but you, you start to build the kind of the ring of friendships, if you like. And then, after a couple of pints there, you all go to the Bell. And the bell is where you try to talk to girls. And you try to talk to girls because you've well, not had I'm enough... I'm reacting to the pub, not the girls, by the way. <laughs> I, I dearly love the bell. Have you been to the bell? Yeah, because we're from Bristol. Oh, of course. So yeah, it? of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you've done that a lot. Yeah. And so you go into that weird little place at the back that smells like foxes and you play table football and um, there's some weird folk band that suddenly comes on. I love the bell because it's very unbath, isn't it? You know, bath is very refined, but you go into the bell and you're in a different realm again. It's scraggly and um, it's scraggly and weird. I've never used the word scraggly before. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but it seems to fit the bill for the bell. When, when are we getting to the raven? or the old green tree that's what i want to know oh, well you know you could do the the crystal palace outside that beautiful tree that you'll know near the abbey but we would do we'd do the bell and we'd stay there and then it'd be a nightclub and it would either be uh, as you'll know cadillacs all these names are very glamorous cadillacs or you go to t's uh, nightclub um and absolutely nothing would happen and then you'd walk um by the canal and you would go to the burger place, Manhattan's, where you'd have a, a blue cheeseburger. And then what we would do is we would all sit on the bench. It was just called The Bench. And it was uh, it was just a bench <laughs> next to uh, a gentleman's convenience. Some, if you'd had enough, sometimes you'd climb to the top of the gentleman's convenience and sit there. But you'd just finish your night um, with a, a lovely burger and um, discussing kind of the end of the conversations that you began at the the ring of bells just 100 feet away so so the, those were that you kind of saturday nights you've hypnotized me yeah it was nice <laughs> just so danny back to your dream pub you've got two bottles now the bottles can contain anything that you get in bottles so what what are your choices uh, well it's going to be alcohol again and it's going to be uh, it's going to be wine, 
um, because uh, I, I like wine. It's kind of my chosen thing. But I don't know enough about wine. And it was only really, I was in New Zealand for a while, and I decided to learn about wine. And uh, I was booked in to a cycling tour of uh, vineyards or wineries or whatever the absolutely correct thing is in, in that context. And I said, great, I'm going to do that. Brilliant. And the van people said, we're going to pick you up in our van tomorrow and you're going to do this thing. And uh, how tall are you? And we'll get you the right bike. So this van turns up and there's a bike and I get in the back of the van and we drive a bit and I go, so when are we picking up everyone else? And they said, um, it's actually just you today. And uh, I said, well, hang on, what? So, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And they said, it's fine, your bike is here, so we'll, we're going to drop you off and here's a map. And so they dropped me off on a very, very long, straight road. I'm not a cyclist, I'm not a natural cyclist. I thought I'd be joining a group and learning together, but instead I've got a map and it's miles away and I have to get on this uh, wobbly bike with a very hard saddle and just have a very depressing cycle um, on my own in sort of, it wasn't even sunny, it was uh, grey, windswept, um, slight spattering of rain. And I got to my first uh, vineyard and I just thought, you know what, I might just stay here all day. <laughs> and, um, and I thought I've got to do that thing where you pretend to be more confident than you are because I could creep in and just sort of stand at the back. So I put my bike away and I walked in, I just went, hello. I've traveled many miles and I'm here to learn about wine. And the guy liked that and he went, come here. And then he talked me through it and he was telling me, you know, what actually is earthy, what actually is fruity, how to find that grapefruit taste. Um, within an hour, I mean, I was I, I was in no fit state really to uh, cycle anywhere. So I, I just stayed there. <laughs> um, but it, it stayed with me and it taught me my favorite wines. So if ever I'm in a restaurant now and I look at the menu and, you you know, you have that, that cliche temptation to go, I'll have the one that's second cheapest or the one that's third most expensive to make it look like I know what I'm doing. I always say, do you have anything from the Marlborough region of New Zealand? Now, as soon as you say something like that, they look at you like you know stuff. Whereas actually, I just know that my preferred stuff all happens to be from there because it is really tasty it's not doesn't make your cheeks go mad it's not that yellow that you look at and you immediately go that's a hangover right there you know it's 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 fruity and it's light and it's refreshing so I'm afraid I'm answering both questions at once which is bottle one is um, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc Bo bottle two is a Marlborough Pinot Noir the the red but it's light it's sort of the good ones are kind of quite smoky the lighter the better and as soon as you introduce people to that and you give them that rule for life where you go ignore all wine right forget the dark reds forget them because that's gonna that's that's nothing but pain forget the yellow ones right chardonnay that whole that whole period is uh, is a joke it needs to be light, it needs to be bright, and um, you'll be all right. That's the uh, expression I've never said before. <laughs> so, uh, have you got a specific vineyard or brand in mind? It's literally almost anything from the Marlborough region, and you'll be okay. But when it comes to the Pinot Noir, go for something as light as you can. And it dances on the tongue, and... Um, 
and and every sip's a delight. What a what a superb uh, roster so far. You've got Alpine Lager, you've got Fosters, uh, and you have a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and a Marlborough Pinot Noir. But before we add to that selection, it's time uh, to take a break to hear from some advertisers. And as always, we bookend that ad break with the pub quiz. Over to you, Robin. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Right, yes, so welcome to the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Put your phones away, I don't care if you're texting. It is not allowed. Right, so this is um, this is just... Uh, so, Danny, you're welcome to play along in, in your head. This is just a... We'll do a few... In my head. Okay. Yeah, we'll do a few questions. Um, Imagine if you'd said, Danny, you're not allowed to play along even in your head. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to play along in your head. I've barred you from your own mind. Um Yes, yeah, so we, 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 I, answer, I ask a few questions and then listeners can mull them over in the ad break and then we do the answers afterwards. So um, this pub quiz, if, if you know, what's the first thing you think of when you think of me, John? Football. Yeah, that's yes. right, football. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big football head. I'm always going on about football. This week it's about the World Cup. You ever hear of that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's competition, isn't it? It's a big competition. <laughs> a big competition. The Men's Football World Cup. So I've got three questions about the World Cup. And, you know, have fun, play along at home. And um, there are no prizes, but let's see where we go to with these. You can play along too, John and Danny. Okay, so the World Cup, question one. How many World Cup finals have been decided by penalty shootout? Ooh, it's more than one. It's more than one. Well... May 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 it may it not be might not be might not be <laughs> but it may be. That's, I didn't give no. Tell me no lies. I'll tell you no. Ask me no questions. Right. So question two. <laughs> it's going well so far. So question one was how many World Cup finals have been decided by penalty shootout? Question two. What is the highest scoring game in World Cup history? The most amount of goals. Could it be a recent one? Could it be an older one? Who knows? What is the highest scoring game in World Cup history? Has there ever been one? Has there ever been one? <laughs> Has there ever been a... I always get that feeling at the start of a World Cup, just what if there are no goals? Yeah. You know, when you're watching the first game and it's always a bit disappointing, what if no one scores any goals this World Cup? Yeah, maybe there's never been a highest scoring one. Question three in the pub quiz. Who was the mascot of the 2018 World Cup. Cast your minds back to Russia. So there you go. There are your three questions for the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Get your thinking caps on. Thank you very much, Robin, for those superb questions. And uh, we'll have answers to those questions after these notices. Thousands of people listen to the Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you want to be part of the Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com. Well, 
Welcome back to The Moon Underwater. We are midpoint at the quiz. And what's that sound? Oh, speaking of adverts, it's... Oh, hang on, that's spilling over somewhat. (laughs) I am absolutely nailing these. uh, The most recent selection I got from Dry Drinker. And um, I've had two from Low Tide Brewing Company. uh, Dipper Toe-In, D-I-P-A, which I think is a... A version of a double IPA, which tastes a bit like a non-alcoholic version of, I would say, the closest thing to that is the Mad Squirrel Sumo or the Dark Star American Pale Ale. I've had a Brune DMC, which is a non-alcoholic brown beer, which tastes a little bit in the realm of Newcastle Brown. And I'm now tucking into a Pale of Two Cities from Electric Beer Brewing Company in a collaboration with Low Tide Brewing Company. If you want to explore the wonderful collection of low-alcohol and alcohol-free beers, ciders and wines, you can head to drydrinker.com and when you check out, enter the code MOONUNDERPOD and you will get 20% off. So, if uh, lockdown has been a little boozy or you're just looking at more interesting options for the school nights... Uh, then head to drydrinker.com and enter the code MOONUNDERPOD at checkout for 20. That's 20% off. Anyway, Robin, we're all on those hooks so tenter. Uh, relieve us with uh, the answers to the pub quiz. Yes, this week's pub quiz was about the sport of football and the, the, the competition which occurreth every four years, the world of scuppers. Um <laughs> Question one. How many World Cup finals have been decided by penalty shootout? Did you guys know that one? I said more than one. Yep, you're correct. I've I've guessed four. Four? Yeah. Four? Yeah. It was two. Oh. Was it two? 1994, when Brazil beat Italy. You remember Baggio missing that penalty? I do actually remember that. And uh, 2006, when Italy beat France. So it's two. The answer is two. The answer is two, yeah. And can I ask you, what is more than one? I think I'd be extremely generous to give you half a point even for that, really. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. (laughs) But it is more than one, it is two. Uh, Question two, what is the highest scoring game in World Cup history? Any guesses or guessing of the scoreline? I I think it's nine goals, and I think it's either 7-2 or 5-4. You've got two of the numbers there. Danny, any, any ideas? Uh, well, if there's two of the numbers and he said three, um, <laughs> so, uh, but you said more than nine. It's more than nine, but he, yeah, two of the numbers are numbers that... Well, it can't be 54-9. <laughs> I think I think John said a seven and he said a five. Thirteen. <laughs> yeah, the score was seven five. I see, fair enough. Yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't explain that very well. The score was 7-5. Austria beat Switzerland in 1954. Who could forget the um, the game that was known as the Hitzerschlacht von Lausanne? The battle, <laughs> the battle in the heat of Lausanne wow. in Switzerland when Austria beat... It was 40 degree, 40 degree heat. It's too hot. And Austria beat Switzerland 7-5. Can you, can you even imagine or begin to imagine what that must have looked like? So well done if you got that at home. Just... Sort of thing Richard Osman says. Uh, question three. Who was the mascot of the 2018 World Cup? I think I've misremembered something from the American office, but was it Springy who was a spring? No, definitely, definitely wasn't that. 
No, that's something we'd all, we would all remember that. We think we'd all remember a spring as a mascot. The classic Russian emblem. <laughs> if it was a spring. I remember it being slightly sinister. Was it some kind of wolf or something? It is a wolf. Yeah, yeah it is a wolf. There is something very sinister about it. It's about kind of a wolf. With- it wasn't a spring. <laughs> What's this? Oh, no, that's it's the mascot that Homer Simpson creates for the Olympic Games. It's called Springy. <laughs> yeah. Springy. That's different. It's great. No, the wolf, he was a wolf called Zabivaka. A wolf who radiates fun, charm, and confidence. <laughs> <laughs> what, an odd, what an odd animal to pick for that those characteristics. A wolf was chosen by the Russian public as the official mascot for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Named Zabivarka, which translates as the one who scores. The wolf was developed by student designer Ekaterina Bokorova and received 53% of the votes, followed by the tiger... 27% and the cat, 20%. The cat. <laughs> oh, what a charming, fun wolf. Yeah. So very full of confidence. So very well done if you uh, got that at home. That brings us to our next round, which is ooh, the haunted round of spirits. Danny, are you a spirits drinker? Um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I can drink them. Uh, I sometimes drink them. It depends really on the um, on what's come before. So, uh, you know, when times are lagging, if you've been in the pub for a while and you're, and you're talking and you, you want the evening to continue, but you just can't face any more man in the box or fosters. My trick has always been the, the simple and humble gin and tonic. Uh, for some reason, it gives me uh, that little bit of extra power that I kind of need. But weirdly, when you mention spirits and you do it in that spooky way, another thing I would really want in my pub and indeed require is a ghost story. Oh. Because the best pubs have ghost stories. And if ever you're stuck for something to say, you know, your, your mate is um, taking their time back in the days when you would meet people in pubs. And you don't know what to say to the bar person. You want to sort of say something. I ask them if there's a ghost in the place, and there always is. In the best pubs, there is always, always a ghost. Whether a grey lady, whether, you know, the ghost of an angry cat. It could be anything, but they've always got a story. Um, and I realise that's getting away from the actual point of the answer, um, which is just gin. Um, but I want my gin with ghosts. Gin with ghosts. So any particular brand of gin, Danny? Nope. I'm going to have to push you on it, Danny. I I just cannot accept Hendrix. generic Hendrix. Hendrix gin. Okay. You're right. Hendrix. We'll go for Hendrix. And that is purely uh, on the fact that I like the bottle. And I also... Well, I can't really tell the difference between most types of gin. So are, you, are, your, are your choices gin and ghost stories as your second spirit? No. Ghosts is, is very much within... Um, uh, gin. I don't know if I can pop that in. In fact, let's have let's just have ghosts floating around this category. But gin is the first one. My my, my second one. Uh, how into New Zealand rum are you? I used to be very 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 into rum to the extent that in April 
2017, I had to ban rum from my house and I've never had a bottle of rum in my house since then. I probably only had, since in the last four years, I'd say six shots of rum out and about, but it really was, it was a... It was a a high rum household for for many years, but I don't think I've ever had New Zealand rum. No, no one has. No one has. Which is what made it confusing when I made the decision one night to invest very heavily in a New Zealand rum company. Now, this (laughs) this happened because... So you're ordering (laughs) 10,000 bottles for your pub. Yeah. This place is going to be stacked with New Zealand rum. Um (laughs) Are you familiar with the author John Niven? Yes, yeah. Yes. So he wrote um, Kill Your Friends. Um, he wrote Straight White Mail. He's written uh, some amazing things. And our paths have crossed over the years. I'd always been scared of hanging out with him or, or, or meeting him for lunch because I thought someone would end up dead. I'm not surprised, but judging by the title of his book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, one day... Um, he said, will you interview me for a thing? And I said, yeah, of course I will. Yeah, great. But I was also um, terrified because I thought this is going to go bad. And with that in mind, we met up, we had lunch, we ate enough. We did um, have a few drinks, then we had a few more and, and, and a few more. And then it was when I was going home that I, I knew that I was meeting, my brother-in-law was going to be around for dinner. And so I was always had this thing in my head where I was like, I've got to be all right tonight because I've got to keep this going, and it's got to go well, you know? And so I got back home, my brother-in-law and uh, his friend were there, and we ate and uh, drank, and it was fine. And the next morning, I woke up thinking, I totally got away with that. I did an afternoon with John Niven, and then an evening with my brother-in-law, and I have no regrets, I have no guilt, there is no black cloud, there is no worry. And then I got an email from my brother-in-law, just going, uh, good to see you last night. Here's the paperwork. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really, I was like, but paper, what? Huh? So I looked and I'd agreed to invest in a New Zealand rum company. Now, rum traditionally is uh, Caribbean. We would say it's, it's more sort of, you know, you think of pirates, you think of, you don't think of New Zealand. And yet I, I'd gone, yes, I'm in. And so I looked at the kind of the paperwork and what I'd said, and I looked at the kind of the marketing of it, and I was like, I quite like, I quite like this, and I've said I'll do it, so I'm going to have to do it. So I did it. Anyway, I expected this stuff to be sold everywhere immediately, and as of tonight, because I checked, the only place I could find a bottle of this stuff is on a website <laughs> that's got the name Alki. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, isn't isn't sort of you know it's not aspirational is it no it's not the kind of place you go well i get all my stuff from alki were you foreseeing a situation like all those hollywood stars who invest in a gin company and then sell it for a hundred billion pounds to diageo was it was this kind of during the sailor jerry rum boom this was going against sailor jerry very much you know they wanted to get away from piracy i remember that being there we want to get away from the pirate thing the whole caribbean thing we want this to be cool and i was like this is cool this is a great thing uh, but sailor jerry is still doing a roaring trade 
and uh, these guys uh, sold an Alki. So what's so is this your second spirit of choice? It is, yeah, yeah. So that I'm, what's it called? Well, I'm, I shouldn't say because then it sounds like I'm trying to drum up business. That's all right. That's fine. It's called. <laughs> so this, yeah, this, the only other spirit available <laughs> will be. It's called stolen rum, um, and. Um, you know, it was doing very well, winning lots of prizes. Um, not so much now, but <laughs> um, but my pub will will sell it until people like it. Until you've made that money back, you will sell stolen <laughs> yes, rum. Exactly. <laughs> So far, we've got Alpine Lager and Fosters on draft. We've got Marlborough Sauvignons Blanc and Pinot Noir. And we have Hendrix Gin and Stolen Rum and Ghosts. Yeah, lots of ghosts. So it's time to take a break from uh, your selections now to enter a tome into the pub library. Uh, So, Robin, uh, you are sat in the nook where all the shelves are, the books that people can browse or swap if they so want to. Uh, What's going into the pub library this week? Thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, this week we've got a great book, which is um, an anthology of pubs and poetry collected by Stuart McConey and Helen Mort, who is a very fine poet as well. And it's uh, I found out about it because Helen Mort was on the Christmas University Challenge, and she mentioned it. Oh, really? But it's a really lovely book. It's called One for the Road, and it's a collection of um, poems about pubs, basically. Mm. But they're they're kind of lots of modern. Well, I say I mean it's contemporary poets, I'd say. So you Simon Armitage's people like that. But um, it's re- it's a lovely book. Simon's Armitage. The plural is Simon's Armitage. <laughs> Gins and tonic, and Simon's Armitage. Yeah. But the introduction is lovely from Helen Mort. She says, Some of the pubs in these pages are real places you could still find. Others are inventions, recollections or predictions. Pubs in parallel worlds where you might walk in late at night, dazed with rain, and find that the landlord has already got your order. Yes, please. That sounds nice. <laughs> um, but the poem... So the poem I was going to read, if you don't mind. Not at all. Is uh, it, it really leapt out because it's called The Star. Oh, mate. Which is, which is a great name for a pub and one of our favourite pubs in Oxford. Uh, and it's by John Wedgwood Clark, which he's, he's, I was Googling him. He seems a really interesting chap, a good, very good poet. So this is The Star. All the rings, those Olympic rings of might have maybe, pull their losses to a dripping thread. Beer mats torn to confetti fill the ashtray's memory Faces distorted by the bottom of a pint glass, opening into foamy ways and other such clichés. Do you fancy another? Make mine a pint for the road untakeable, the swaying road with midnight hedges of foxglove and pennywort, a stream somewhere over granite, a pure thirst quenched, the road now a lane chilling down to a frost hollow, where your lost voice fills the bottomless glass of night, breath spilt into stars. Oh my god! Very nice. That's great. And pub poetry is—I mean—that should be its own genre. Well, it's—it's it's weird because we're both big Philip Larkin fans. Mm. It's odd how f- there are very few references to pubs in his poems. If if I might be right in saying if any. No, because I was going to do the in essential beauty. He talks about high rafted pubs. <laughs> I think that's the only thing. <laughs> but yeah, he does. He talks about drinking at home, but I don't think he was much of a pub man. Well, I think he was a pub man, but 
maybe it just didn't seem like the uh, the right topic. It's more the American, especially the sort of first half of the 20th century writers were much more boozy writers mm. uh, than the Brits. But thank you so much for uh, adding One for the Road, curated by Helen Mort and Stuart McConey, into the pub library. And perhaps he was just more drawn to the sort of the romanticism of drinking at home. Yes, well, there's a story that Philip Larkin was once um, met a friend as he was walking through a churchyard and his friend clocked that his coat was clinking. (laughs) And what you used to do in those days is you would take your bottles, a bit like craft pubs have tried to reintroduce now in tap rooms, where you take your growlers to the pub to fill them up. And uh, as he clinked past, Philip said to his friend, I'm off to the well. (laughs) (laughs) So not only are we filling up our shelves with books, we're filling up our jukebox, or you're filling up your jukebox, Jenny. Uh, Jenny. You're filling up up your jukebox, Danny, with your dream pub album uh, that gets added on to the Moon Underwater jukebox as well. So what are you going for? And talk talk a little about music in pubs, because you said earlier that you weren't a fan. Yeah, um... I struggled with this one because ideally there wouldn't be any music. Ideally, this is a place for conversation. However, you know, there's a format. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I will agree with it. For, for a moment, I thought um, Huey Lewis and the News, with their seminal 80s album, Sport. Um, I was a massive Back to the Future fan. I loved Power of Love. Huey Lewis... Um, you know, I just thought it was the coolest. Um, however, if I am forced, which I understand I am, to choose, uh, you know, an album for this pub, I need something with a bit of nuance. I need something that can be anthemic. I need something that can be sad. Because all those feelings, all those emotions can come around that sort of pub table. So I've chosen wisely. And I have chosen uh, the Proclaimers, Sunshine on Leith. Oh, great choice. So you have your 500 miles for that moment where everything is fantastic and the place is going crazy and it's chaos and it's something everyone instinctively knows the words to, even though no one has ever tried to learn the words. We just (laughs) somehow know them. There is Sunshine on Leith, um, which is just such a beautiful song that can unite an entire football stadium. So surely it can unite a pub. Um, It's an album filled with um, anger, um, righteousness, uh, humour. It's a fun, there's funny stuff on there as well. Um, And it's something that means a lot to me because um, when I moved to England from Scotland, I didn't. I don't have any brothers or sisters. Um, my mum is Swiss. My dad was from uh, Carlisle, and so there was no one backing up my accent. My accent was very strong. I had a very strong Dundee accent, and the Proclaimers were the only people who were, as far as I could tell at that time, that I'd come across singing in that accent. So they were like my link to who I was, even though I was under this weird pressure not to speak the way I spoke because no one could understand me or I didn't fit in or there was no one else like me in in my little group in Loughborough. Did so did you intentionally lose your accent or or is it something that just went over time? I had to I've I've always had to fit in slightly because we moved around a lot and um I had to make friends fast. 
so I had to learn how to walk into a room and make a friend um, from holidays where suddenly you're the only child and you have to walk into a room and the games room and there's all these kids but they all know each other or their brothers and sisters or whatever I had to walk in and, and make a friend um, and that's you know presenting is a bit like making a friend the way I write uh, sometimes I think I'm a bit too puppyish in that I'm I'm trying to make a friend of the reader, um, and I go for jokes wherever I can, and that's a way of trying to make friends with people. And the accent is sort of an extension of that, in that it was really strong. It's Dundonian, you know. And I got to this town, Loughborough, and um, I always say I'm not sure anyone had moved to Loughborough before, so I feel like the first. And uh, and so I had to kind of fit in a bit. Um, and that's probably why I like pubs as well, you know, because you do fit in when you find that we're all allowed in, um, and we all find our favorite and we all find our place within that place. And, you know, it's that sense of community. So, um, there are certain words I say that still sound Scottish or that, that have a hard A. I mentioned I lived in Bath earlier, and I would say Bath because I've been taught to say Bath because Bath is called Bath. But if I had a bath, I'd have a bath, and I'd have a bath in Bath. So there, there are things that never sort of leave. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I did it to fit in, I think. Do you now, given the current broadcast and voiceover landscape, wish you had retained that most precious of commodities, warm regional? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for a long time, you know, many of us coasted on the gen generic man voice. And um, my accent, I think this thing, which is a slight bastardization of the places I've lived and my dad and, and Dundee and all that kind of stuff, it's sort of slightly, you don't know where it's from, and it's slightly classless, I hope. Um, but uh, but yes, I could have cleaned up on the B and Q stakes. Oh, mate. You could have got Asda. You could have got Asda. I could have got Asda. I've always said that. I could have. I could have had Asda. Sometimes when my wife is just drifting off to sleep, uh, I grab her by the shoulders and shake her awake and said, "I could have had Asda." <laughs> Thought that I'd be happy, gonna be so happy, living life alone and never sharing anything. Thought that I was finished. Thought that I was complete. Thought that I was whole instead of being half of something. Thought that I was growing, growing all the wiser. Understanding why this world held nothing for my spirit. Thought that I was destined, destined to be nothing. Destined to be nothing in this world. And then I met you. Superb choice uh, for the pub jukebox. But now it's your final drink choice to accompany your lagers, wines and spirits. It's your wild card. It's your free swim. What box hasn't been ticked in Danny Wallace's Pub of the Mind? Some years ago I wrote a novel and a man got in touch with me and said, would you like to brew a beer? And I said, I'd love to brew a beer um, sort of around my novel, if, if I could. This is before sort of everyone was doing it. And I got together with uh, this guy called Ben and uh, the Truman's Brewery in the East End. And it was great because I was able to look at the book I'd written and try and translate it into beer. So one of the characters was called Pia. So I thought, IPA, you know, it's an anagram. It should be an IPA. And then I got together with them and we were able to sort of put all these different kind of hops together and we created something quite quite pungent, which was way above the... Alpine, 
and you know it was sort of 5.8 or something that that should be illegal but I'm not going to put that in there. What I am going to put in is something that they gave to me that night, which was a bottle of the first ever Truman's beer recipe, Ooh. which was made sometime in like the 1600s, I think. And they let me taste one because what they did, they copied the original recipe, they popped it all in a big vat, and they created it again. And it was amazing. And it was like going back a few hundred years and tasting what they would have had. And I've got a bottle over there. I can see it. I can see it there. But I can never open it because I don't know how many are left. And if I open it, it's gone. So what, what does it taste like? What is it similar to anything? What, what flavour notes are we getting? It's like a sort of like a heavier kind of Guinness. But you know that kind of drink where you have and it sits heavy on you, but it, it, it doesn't feel heavy in a bad way. It feels like you're having a meal in a sense. You're, you're sort of kind of every sip is kind of substantial. But did it, did it, did it feel old? Did it feel like you were travelling in time like this? It must- itself didn't, but, but I loved the fact that I was. it was like communicating with the past in a weird way. It was like, this taste has been had, but not for hundreds of years. And this would have been a normal taste. This would have been a guy having a Foster's yeah. or, a, or an Alpine back in the day. But Truman's is a, a, a superb brewery. Their three sort of core beers are all under 4.5%, and I like every single one, Runner, Swift, and Zephyr. Well, let me check, because it's not the one on Brick Lane that you might be thinking of. Oh, right. Oh, I'm thinking of Brick Lane Truman's. Let me... I'm going to get the bottle now. I'm going to walk over to it, and I'm going to read the label to make sure I've got this right. Hang on one second. Because it's good. I'll tell you that much. Oh, look at this. Okay, so I've brought it over. You can see there's a wax seal at the top. Oh, wow. And it's a dark brown bottle. What does the label say? It's called Truman's London Keeper. Oh. And Truman's has been going from 1666, so plague times. But this, this is called the 1880 Double Export Stout. Oh, whoa. 8%. Oof. And the label's been signed by the head brewer. Lordy. But I'll never open it. That's the sort of thing that in a in a disaster film you will open that as the as the comet is about two hours away. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say that in a disaster film that would contain the plague. <laughs> film starts with that, and you accidentally unleash the second wave. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? The comet's coming down before it <laughs> yeah. even hits. You died of the plague. You're barred. Right then, Danny, you're barred. No, you're not. Uh, we're, we're making your pub, and you're allowed to ban one thing from the pub. It can be anything that annoys you, whatever gets you go. Well, the sort of thing you turn up into a pub and think, Argh. Sky Sports. Ooh, interesting choice. Two words, Sky Sports. If there is a little sandwich board outside that says Sky Sports, uh, I, I, I don't really want to go in. If there's a poster outside, if they've written it in a, in their sort of weird crayon that they've got, their sort of window crayon, Sky Sports, it's not for me. We've established I am uh, sort of down the Orwellian line of pubs. I want the conversation. I don't want volleyball. I don't want badminton. I don't want all the other little things they put on before the big game. I don't want those tables of people who've just come to look at it. Um, I want to look at each other. Are you saying Sky Sports? Are you saying TVs? Because what if you ban Sky Sports and you turn up and they've got BT Sport on? Let's say let's say TV Sports. TV Sports. 
Let's say TV sports. I'm not going to, you know, um, risk any future voiceover work from either. <laughs> um, but uh, if it had countdown on, I wouldn't mind. If it was gentle Channel 4 quizzes until a certain uh, time, maybe 6 p.m., and then it becomes conversation only, a massive klaxon goes off, and um, in that Orwellian way, a, a giant voice just says, from now on it's conversation only, I'd be very happy. But pre-6 p.m., you can have gentle quizzes, n- no sports, no TV sports, no Sky sports, no BT sports, no nothing with sports in it, because that takes away from the point of going and being part of something. You can do it at home. Do that at home with your mates. It's fine. But in this special and sacred place, thou must chat. <laughs> I tell you what I like. I, I like during a World Cup or a Euros year where a pub that doesn't usually have a TV have sort of improvised one because they know people are going to want to watch it for four weeks. So yeah, there'll yeah. be sort of a normal TV-sized TV in one section of the pub, yeah. but not like a sort of a big projector screen with everyone stood watching it. I, I tell you what, I'd also really like snooker in a pub. Mm. Yeah, well, snooker is the, snooker's the countdown of sports. <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. Danny, it's almost time to bid you on your way. But before we give you your pub that you've created, and if things work out, are going to franchise, it's got to have a name. It does have to have a name. Well, I feel bad because um, there is a hero that I have mentioned, but that uh, has not found his place within my pub because of the proclaimers. And um, and I think it's a, it's a heroic name. It's a playful name. It's a name... I would like to say when I say, will you come down tonight to the Huey Lewis? Oh, <laughs> that's a nice, I like that. That's great. That's very good. Yeah. And regulars will shorten it to the Huey. Of course they will. And uh, I welcome that. Um, but, um, you know, strangers and foreigners must refer to it as the Huey Lewis. <laughs> Absolutely. And you could have a blackboard with the news, you know, updates. That's <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. Well, we wish you... Such a fond farewell as you uh, wander off into the uh, hidden lamplit streets of Publand. And uh, you take with you the Huey Lewis, which has Alpine Lager, Foster's, a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, Hendrix Gin, Stolen Rum and Truman's London Keeper 1880 Double Export Stout. And I think it's only fitting that to play you out, Danny, in this sky sportsless realm that you have created... We have a little bit of sunshine on Leith. And as we watch Danny Wallace wend his way through the shifting streets, hope he finds his uh, find his route home okay, because those streets are shifting something chronic tonight. Um, we look forward to next week when we'll be welcoming actress and comedian Kerry Godleyman, and we can't wait to have her here in The Moon Underwater. And if you want to send us any uh, correspondence for The Mist 
mail to deliver. We will sigh for it, and you can send it to john at moonunderpod.com. Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com.